1: make the cloud work for you with cloud optimizer get a
0: free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com
1: go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment that's cloudoptimizer.com welcome back tiger fans to rockin' radio's football podcast i'm Nate Edwards that's Brandon BK Kylie this is before the box score your one week and one-day-away edition, because next Thursday, the Missouri Tigers are playing American collegiate football at Faroe Field at night against South Dakota. We are recording on a Wednesday, so when you hear this, it's probably Thursday, so then it will be a week. But hey, UK, the promised land is coming. We've seen final practices. We are counting down to game day. How are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling excellent. I can't wait to watch... Semi-real football next Thursday night. It's gonna be great, my friend. We will get at least two quarters of the starters playing, maybe up to three if we're really lucky. Um, and I can't wait for it, man. hey listen. I say this is a guy that wa- like legitimately watches preseason NFL games. If I can do that, I can watch a Mizzou versus the South Dakota game and consider it to be real football. So I am genuinely quite excited. I like the fact that they're going to play both quarterbacks in that game. I find that to be a fun little wrinkle that they're going with Mm -hmm. this year. And I will be very curious to see what the results of that game mean, if anything, in the quarterback battle. Because what's going to be really fun is when one of them plays better than the other. And then the other guy that didn't play as well ends up winning the job for the next game. (laughs) That's going to be super exciting because we know something like that is very much in play.
1: It's always in play. It's college. So, I mean, let's dive into this a little bit, just because that is seems to be the hot topic du jour, other than some commitment news that we will get to. I am really curious how they're going to break this up, because it is important to me, as I'm sure it is important to them, that they give equal treatment to both quarterbacks. And just in case you've been under a rock and you're not aware of what's going on, Brady Cook and Sam Horn will be splitting snaps at at quarterback for the first two games. I'll be against South Dakota. That would be against middle Tennessee.
0: We should clarify, by the way, definitely for the first game. I, I think it's up in the air as to whether or not that will be the case in the second game. Drinkwitz was vague on that one.
1: Well, I understand if he's being cagey because yes, middle Tennessee can beat you just a little bit more than maybe South Dakota can. At the same time, man, are you going to make your starting quarterback decision based off of four weeks of camp and how you did against South Dakota? I, unless unless one of them yeah. just totally screws the pooch and like puts you behind against South right. Dakota, you really should give them both a shot, right? Am, am I crazy?
0: Unless they've already made their decision and this is all just because they can, right? Like you're not burning a red shirt. Like there's no downside to doing it this way. The upside is, hey, maybe one of these guys is a gamer and they go out and they just dominate. And then maybe you do. Maybe if it's like the guy that you're surprised by, that you were going to name the other player the starter. It's like, let's say, for example, Brady Cook goes out there and you're you're expecting to name Brady Cook as the starter, which right now that's still where I land personally. And then Sam Horn gets out there and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? We didn't see this in fall camp we thought Brady Cook was clearly better and then Sam Horn was just a better player against South Dakota. Then maybe you extend it to Middle Tennessee. But it is it is in a way, honestly, confirmation bias. If the guy that you were expecting to be the starter goes into that game and at least ties, the tie goes to the runner, right? The secondary quarterback, I think that that's where you could go with that guy in the second game. I could see something like that. Or maybe instead of it being like 50-50 in the second game, it's more of one guy gets two drives, the next guy gets one kind of a situation. Or it could be, remember what they used to do with um, with um quarterbacks, with Gary Pinkle, where they'd get like uh-huh. a drive in the second quarter, or something yep. like that. Yep. Maybe you see something like that. And then they, based on how that drive goes, they may get more time in the second
1: half. So, Obviously, this coaching staff owes nothing to the fan base other than to get wins. And much like you know, we elect somebody to make the decisions for us, and we just deal with the, the consequences of it. We they we put this football coach in power; he is going to make a, his decision because this is the guy that we chose, and this is the guy he chose. I get that. However, at the same time, Sam Horn has been this bubbly mystery that has existed on the fringe of Mizzou fans minds going what can this guy do and of course Eli Drinkwitz and, and Kirby Moore everybody's got the practice film they've got the 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 visual of what this guy can do and they know what they expect of him and they know how he's going up against those expectations but my god the fan base doesn't I don't care if you're there with the students or the open practices like they weren't showing you much if anything at all with those guys it would be nice to see Sam Horn in Multiple extended playing live game experiences just so we can see how he reacts, and we as the fan base can go, Okay, yeah, we understand why you did this. The most frustrating thing would be to give Sam that one drive in the second quarter, then never see him again, and then Brady Cook gets the starting nod. I'm like, Oh, God, we still haven't seen it. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how they're going to break it up. It seems to me it would make a lot of sense to get those snaps at the beginning of the game when it's close, when it's still a game, when there's still some pressure. Um, that would make the most sense, but I'm not a football coach, so we'll see how it goes. But that is the most intriguing part of this game.
0: Absolutely. That That's what, what, what I'm most excited about. And we could talk about more of those storylines next week for sure. Um, but I, I'm glad that Drinkwitz is at least doing it this way. Because we've seen in the past where he just says, ah, screw it. We're just going with one guy. We've got one guy that is going to be our quarterback and hell or high water. We're going with that guy. So at least this is less rigid than what his approach has been at the position in previous seasons. And it feels like that's kind of been the theme for Drinkwoods this offseason It's like less rigidity. I'm open to looking at somebody else calling the plays. I'm open to using multiple running backs. I'm open to seeing what we have behind whoever I think is the number one quarterback. I'm open to different configurations on the offensive line, even if that means one of the older guys gets pushed out. Like all of these things in previous seasons, I'm not sure that they would have gone in the same direction as they are right now. I I don't know how this year's going to go. I have no idea, but. Eli drinkwitz the way that he approached the offseason, it does give me a little bit of confidence, sliver, a minuscule amount, but a little bit of confidence that he might be figuring this thing out, man. He might be figuring out how to be a head coach in this conference. And now Nate gets to be negative Nate.
1: I look, I'm not saying you're wrong.
0: Backdrop timeout disclaimer. Nate is the one that's been positive about this team. He thinks they're winning eight-plus games. All right, continue. Don't,
1: okay, yeah, don't worry about <laughs> it. I'm not saying you're wrong. And I know I understand the fallacy of trying to play armchair psychologist. I wonder how much of this is I feel comfortable to be open to stuff because I have the depth to be open to stuff. Could you be. know, Brady Cook was named starting quarterback, what, day three of last year's fall camp because I knew they had Jack Squat behind him? You know, he, he played Cody Schrader because Nate Pete was explosive, both in the good and bad ways. And, like, Tavoris Jones and Michael Cox were just not
0: it. By the way, Tavoris Jones, it sounds like, might have been jumped already by Jamal Roberts. I mean, Jamal Roberts
1: is good. I've watched him at St. Mary's. I'm like, this kid told can play. I this, man.
0: The dude is big and fast.
1: And he can catch the ball in the backfield, and like I think Tavoris yeah. Jones is a good running back. I think Jamal Roberts is really good too. But like to those guys might all,
0: be their two ta- most talented runners on the team, by the way.
1: Absolutely, and they might not even see the field. But like <laughs> to the offensive line, like hey, I'm good with mixing things up. Why? Because you have twelve options instead of like five. Yeah. Like I think, and he because is
0: Armand Mimbu is a sophomore who's like legitimately talented,
1: the greatest offensive lineman <laughs> since Evan Bame. Apparently, like it, he he has been more open because I think he has finally has enough options around him where he feels comfortable to not be rigid with the guys who got him there, his guys. He can expand that out and go, okay, let's see this, because I have the option to do that. As far as play, that doesn't go to play calling. He should have done that last year and didn't, but whatever. I think he's finally got the depth to be open to change and that is why he is doing it. I love it to be like he's got it figured out because that would make me very happy, but I think it's more I have depth now to play with and that makes him happy.
0: I think that's very much in play. Um, But I will also give him credit, like regardless of the explanation as to why, he built that depth. He did. So he gets the credit for the roster being constructed in a way that is better for him to be able to do the things that we want to see, but also like, Armand Mimbu was one of the players that he did give playing time last year. Now, it was very limited. I think he should have given him more playing time. Clearly, if they think he's like the second coming best thing that since sliced bread, maybe he should have seen the field a little bit more than just as a like weird second tight end. But whatever, neither here nor there. Um, I'll give him the credit either for building up the roster in a way where he now has more flexibility or... Because he's being less rigid as a head coach than he previously was. Either way, whatever the explanation, both are good things for Mizzou fans yes. ultimately, and yes. that's what we want.
1: Remember, Mizzou under Gary Pinkle did not really take off until he loosened up, created a a, a athlete board, a, a sounding board where they could come to him directly with questions, comments, concerns, and he got rid of that strict rigidity. And open it up to more of a communal like feedback session. Yes, there are coaches that told you what to do. Yes, you had to listen. But like, he made it open to the the athletes. He he made it a, a an effort, a, a group effort, and that's when they started taking off. Now they also had some great talent on that team. But you know, it helps. Um, to it helps mentally to open that up to the players and feel a little bit more looser. You know, feel comfortable with those guys. So. Um, but yeah, credit to the staff for putting this this team together, for building that depth. That is obviously on Drinkwitz and everybody else, and they deserve credit for that. So I'm glad he got to his happy place and he feels comfortable to reach out and explore the space a little bit. That's, that's always good for a football coach. What's also good for a football coach is to uh, get recruiting wins. And, you know, for a long time, we in the Mizzou Sphere, we've been so focused on the five stars, right? We've been focused on the big names. We've been focused on Williams, Nor- no yeah, Williams, no And Ryan, Wingo. And so sometimes when you get a commitment from someone who's not of a blue chip variety, you go, huh, I did not anticipate that. And I kind of feel like we had that collective reaction last night when uh three-star edge rusher, Jalen Brown from Madison, Alabama committed to Mizzou. Now to all of our credit, he chose like seven o'clock on a Tuesday night to make this thing happen, which fine. Go do your thing, man. Like if you are not about the, the big ceremony, like I like that. That's very blue collar, hard worker, humble, get it done. Go. That's fine. But it kind of surprised everybody and went a little bit under the radar. Uh, but this dude, uh, he's from James Clements high school in Madison, Alabama. He is six, six 16 or 17 years old. Um, every bit of an edge rusher that you can think of. He is all limb intriguing prospect BK. What do you know about this guy?
0: About the same amount as you do. Honestly, Uh watched his film. There's not a ton of it, frankly, on huddle. Um, he's six foot six. He's long. He's explosive off of the ball. Doesn't have a ton of bend around the edge, which is kind of what we expect at this point with a Mizzou defensive end. Um, but I love the length. That's the biggest thing is Mizzou could use some guys that have that six foot six size and the length. This feels a little bit of a project to me. And based on the fact that he's a three star and his top programs were what they were, it looks like other colleges viewed him as a bit of a project. But Kevin Peoples uh, apparently really liked him and If you're going to have this as a developmental guy in the same class that you have Williams Winery, who is your immediate impact type of a defensive end, totally cool by me, man. You can have some of those where, and this is what makes a school like Mizzou work. You can have the instant impact players and at that same position have somebody behind them that is developing over time. And if you do that well, that is when Mizzou is operating and firing on all cylinders. We saw that with Uh, Gary Pinkle for 10 years really where he had guys that were ready to go when the studs left Mm -hmm. you have that four-year player that's ready to fill the gap of hey we can get two years out of this guy as a starter or at least bit piece first and then a legit starter and you also had guys like you know Coney Ely that come in and play right away or um Doriel Green Beckham at wide receiver where you know right away they're going to be able to see the field so he had some of those guys, and then you also had Jalen Browns and the Charles Harris's of the world. You got to find those play those diamonds on uh, in the rough as well.
1: Yep. And Coney Ely needs a Michael Sam. Yep. And it took Sam three years, three full years, to really figure out the game and be an impact player. So yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So yeah, I mean, no pressure to start, especially when you have Will. <laughs> that's going to be your starter. So, but Mizzou needs edge rushers badly. Uh, I think the portal activity taught us that we all knew it kind of at the end of the year, uh, the, the staff backed that up. And, and yeah, you need some developmental guys in there too. So this is, this is a good acquisition. It's important to get those guys just as much as the five, four and five star guys. So this is good. And cra- congratulations to Jalen. Uh, as I said, every recruit who doesn't listen to this podcast, but just in case, please sign on the dotted line on signing day, please. I uh, would love to have you here. Uh, and also do we have a burgeoning Alabama pipeline? Uh, I mean, Sidney Williams was a transfer, so, you know, whatever. But Curtis Pagler, the offensive guard. Now we got Mr. Brown. I don't know. There was that Indiana pipeline for a little bit where we got two blue chippers and a couple other guys. And I don't know. We'll see. Something to keep your eye on, which is not Colorado or Chicago, which I still – I did all that research when Eli Drinkwood said he wanted to recruit those places. And really, just – we haven't gotten there,
0: man. He, he's got a little bit of Carolina. We've got some Carolina That's flair Carolina. occasionally.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, he said Denver, didn't he? Was, was it, it Denver, Denver Chicago? Yeah. I think it was Denver, Chicago, maybe like Charlotte. And what else did he say? Tennessee, maybe Tennessee was one of them.
1: It was all the direct flights that the Columbia. Nashville, maybe. Yeah, Memphis, I don't know. Yeah, not not a whole lot of great football players out of the Denver and Chicago areas. You have a few here and there, so it was they've got idea. a
0: tackle kind of out of the
1: the Chicago. Dylan Erickson was from Chicago. They did uh, get
0: a defensive end from uh,
1: from Denver. Cherry he is... Cherry Hill, who is now back in Colorado.
0: Yeah, he's now at CU. So, uh, so that he, he didn't. He t- technically he could say I did recruit those areas. <laughs> he
1: did. He made an effort.
0: That's it's okay. like when Gary Pinkle was like, yeah, we're going Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. Louisiana, and Georgia. Those are our new focuses. And it's like, hey, Gary, you've been doing things a certain way for a decade, and it's worked really well for you. What if you, like, kept doing that? You took the kids from Texas that want to play in the SEC that can't go elsewhere and bring mm-hmm. them to Missouri as opposed to taking the kids from Florida that wanna play in the SEC and got passed up over the 17 like, different schools between
1: you and them. Everybody. Oh, God. The that 2012 recruiting class. Oh,
0: dude. It, it was not good. Was that the uh I think one of the only guys that ended up working out from that was like Sean Colkin. Because he was Well, sorry, twelve
1: was DGB and Evan Bain and Maddie Mock. So maybe that was not,
0: well, no, uh, I think that was it. Cause no, Sean other guys, was in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brandon Holyfield, who was immediately kicked off,
1: could not stay legal. Harold yeah.
0: Brantley, a bunch of stuff. Levi Copeland off field. Um,
1: ricky hatley had some moments oh, i miss ricky Hatley. maddie mock here's here 14 was the class where they really embraced the sec-ness of recruiting hey, let's let's go through the hits of the 2014 class and how many of them stuck around <laughs> oh no
0: oh this is the one this nate is the brown one. nate hey, brown by the, the way this is when i covered the team these are the guys that i cover
1: <laughs> oh boy that sucks so your blue chipper was nate brown you had Trayvon Walters running back from Bradenton. Did not make it. Thomas Wilson did not make it. Uh, Paul Adams from Tennessee. Oh, that was good. That was a good tackle. Yeah, okay, that one worked it. out. Deshaun Blair did not work out. Lawrence Lee did not work out. Both of those guys are from Florida. Thomas Richard did not work out. That was from Tennessee. Ross McWilliams did not make it. Trayvon Ross did not Dude, make it. I, I was Williams. convinced, by the way,
0: Tavon Ross... That was my dude. Seven. I I was genuinely convinced this guy's going to be the best player in college football and nobody can tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like he is so good. And Mizzou found him. And I was like, I don't understand how every team in the country isn't recruiting this kid. And he ended up getting offers from Miami and Georgia late. And he took some visits there. It was like, Oh, well Mizzou is not getting this guy. And then he picked Mizzou. Yeah. And it was like the same story of Josh Jacobs, but in reverse, where it's like, yeah, Mizzou got the kid that everybody wanted. And then he was Tavon Ross and like tore both ACLs within the next six months or
1: something. I didn't know you could have eight ACLs to tear, but he did it. Um, Marvin Sanders was in that class. Uh, Walter Brady, who was a great end from Alabama, but then sticking out, he was in that class. Oh, he had some off field. Really, the only guy who was a success from there. Was ish freaking Witter, who only really got his star to shine when every other running back in front of him died and he got primary carries and what, 16, 17, something like that. Yep. Like, Gary, you were great. That choice to go into Florida, though, poor, poor choice. It just didn't work. Like, it didn't.
0: sometimes you just got to know who you are and what you do well and know what you don't. And when do you know we, when Exactly. That was his phrase for mm-hmm. damn near 20 years, and the guys mm-hmm. decided not to do what they do for a year, and it, it, it buried them. And I think he knew immediately, like, oh, the type of kids that were recruiting when they got them on campus, they had a pretty good idea. This is not going to work, and we need to have better connections. Because one yeah. of the things that I think gets underestimated in recruiting is the connections that you have with staff members. Oh, there yeah. are four stars that teams in state will not touch for a reason because they know bad, bad egg. Like this this is a bad egg that we're, we don't want on our campus. We don't want them around our team. We don't want them infecting our culture of our locker room. And when you don't have the connections with another staff in another state where they don't really care if they do you wrong, what? why are they going to help you out? You yeah, know no, they're no. going to be like, yeah, this kid's a four-star athlete. Like, go get him. He's really good at football. And if you get him on your team, maybe you'll be able to be the one that ends up fixing him. Whereas yeah. if that guy's in your state with a high school coach that you have a relationship, he'd probably say, hey, don't do that one. That 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 one I can't recommend. But we've got this kid over here that you may not know about, and other teams don't know about yet. You should be recruiting him. That is the guy mm-hmm. that you really want on your roster. So yep. that was a. A misstep to say the least.
1: It's about trust, babe. It's about mm-hmm. trust. They just did not have it. That's okay. We finally got out from that that hole that was dug with the 2014 class, and that's okay. Hey, speaking of scholarships, uh, walk on Ben Stratman, uh, who last year was playing for uh what's it called? We're all a a- S&T, Missouri and yeah. Um Yeah, graduate transfer from st Uh he is a defensive end. He's about my size, so, you know, whatever that means, plus 30 pounds. Um, but he is a walk-on that earned a scholarship uh, this past week. Uh, the video was put up on all the social media. It was really cool. Um, good for him. That's great. Missouri has a scholarship to to use, and he's a graduate, so he's gone after this year anyway. But it's cool when a walk-on earns uh, a scholarship, especially, what, eight weeks on campus, and he's already earned it. So that, that was pretty cool. So uh, congratulations to Mr. Stradman.
0: Hey man, anytime that you get these videos, it's it's the best. Like you just you can't you can't beat the opportunity to see a guy getting foot on scholarship. So huge congratulations to him. It's a huge deal for, for both he and his family. Um, Nate, you have a kid, you have kids. I have a child now. I'm already thinking about what it's gonna be like to try to attempt to pay for college and can't imagine. Um, so good for them. It's really cool. You've got the scholarship. Do this as often as you possibly can.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. My kids are not going to get athletic scholarships. They better like books because they have the Edwards athleticism gene and it's a doozy. So yeah, uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe they'll break the, the the tide here, but congratulations to Ben. That is fantastic. Very exciting for him. Hope he enjoys it. Now let's talk about the projected death chart because that practice did come out to the public and it seemed to be a bit of a display of what this team is going to be this upcoming year. And obviously, depth charts only mean so much when you go to your guys and snap counts are really going to be it. But for conversation purposes and for people with podcasts, depth charts are great. So let's talk about it. Here is kind of what we're thinking right now based off of who we've seen and who's playing with who and all that stuff. Obviously, quarterback, going to be a rotation situation. Brady Cook, Sam Horn. Cool. Got it. One of those wanted college or starters. At the running back situation, you got Cody Schrader slotted as your starter, and you have Nate Pete, who is going to be backing him up. Now, again, you have Tavoris Jones, second-year blue chipper, and you have Jamal Roberts, he who has been uh, having praise heaped upon him uh, during fall camp. Do you go three deep? Do you go four deep? I don't know, but that's what we got right now. And then let's round out the skill position players. Your starters, Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper, Luther Burden, Tyler Stevens at tight end, backed up by Dennis Jackson, DeMarion, Houston, Makai Miller, and then Brett Norfleet, your brand spanking new blue chip tight end out of O'Fallon. So from your guys who are going to be scoring the points, not talking about offensive line, we'll get there in a second. This seems about right. Any surprises to you or anything that you kind of disappointed that you don't see?
0: So one thing that I'm really curious to watch is Mookie Cooper on the outside at wide receiver. Just don't know how it's going to work. I'm not saying that it won't. I want to see it first though, before I say that it will, um, makes me a little nervous. Not going to lie to you that he is one of your outside wide receivers on opening night. Um, I, I feel like Dennis Jackson, maybe Makai Miller, those were the guys that I were hoping could be in that spot. I think you're going to see a decent timeshare there though. So I wouldn't get overly caught up in who is starting, who is the backup. I think there's going to be a lot of snaps to be had. So that's one spot that stood out to me. You mentioned running back as well. I think Jamal Roberts is going to be a factor. I don't know when, how often, what that's going to look like in terms of the rotation, but you talked about him on passing downs. I think that's something that they could really use is a running back that can help them. in like the Texas option routes across the middle, right? Third and four, go get yourself five yards. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's something that Jamal Roberts is very much capable of doing or a little like swing route where you get him in space and he just takes off and runs for seven. That's a pretty valuable play in certain situations. So I, I think he's a guy that I would watch as well. Those are the two that really stood out to me because we've already spent so much time on a quarterback position. What stood out to yeah. you?
1: I'm surprised Tyler Stevens is still holding down the starting tight end spots. We'll see. I feel like that's a loner. <laughs> that's, that's we're, we're slotting you here. Cause we respect that you've been here before, but it's going to be Norfleet and it's going to be Jordan Harris who We've heard, Way, way more about than Mr. Stevens, who, of course, was here last year. So, again, again, it's names on paper. It's not the snap counts divvied out. But if, you're, if you want to put stock into it, that one was a little surprising. And, yeah, I, I mean, same thing with Cody Schrader, Nate, Nathaniel P. I feel like this is just a, a tip to tenure. Like, hey, you've been here. We know that you know. Like, we're going to give you first dibs on this just to see how it rides out. Jamal Roberts, to me, and I'm not saying this is going to be year one. I'm not saying he has to hit this or it's a failure. But my ceiling for him is Tyler Beatty. The, the guy who is who can be out there for every single down and can do whatever it is that you need. Now he's a little bit taller. He needs to bulk up a little bit more. But when you when I watched him at St. Mary's, and we remember how Tyler did in 21, like that, that's just I put those two things together and boy, it would be nice to have another Tyler Beatty around. <laughs> and if you remember Tyler Beatty, he made his entrance in his first year with a plum because he was the one that was catching those passes against Purdue to convert first downs. When it was a fourth down and Drew Lock was looking for somebody, he threw it to Tyler Beatty. So you can find ways in there and running back rotations can be three or four guys deep, depending on how much they trust these guys. I do expect Jamal Roberts to be out there. I do think his role is going to grow if he is as good as I think he is. And that's that's something that this team desperately needs because I love Cody Schrader, but he is a three- to four-yard running back, and that's it. And they need a little bit more than that.
0: I I love the comparison. The difference, of course, is that Jamal Roberts is six foot and yeah. he's 200 pounds as a freshman, Yeah, which you typically would think by the end of his tenure at Mizzou it's like a 6'1", 220-pound running back that you could be talking about. That's, that's a like TJ
1: team. Yeldon. That's TJ Yeldon. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. that's a big running back, but he's fast. I like mm-hmm. that TJ Yeldon comparison, actually. that that yeah. That is a really interesting one because Yeldon was also very good in the passing game. That was something mm-hmm. that he was more than capable of doing. So I, I'm fascinated to see what he could do, man. I, I think he's one of the more intriguing young talents on this roster right now. And he doesn't come with, like, a ton of prospect pedigree. He was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. But he's just hes one of those players that we were talking about earlier. Sometimes you got to recruit your state better than other people do. Mm -hmm. And he appears to be one of those guys that you were able to find. Yeah.
1: By the time he was done, Tyler Beatty was 5'8", 205, if you're keeping track. That is a bowling ball. (laughs) So, yeah, six feet, you know, he's got four inches on him. Uh, and if he's already at 200 and he's got the frame to build like that, yeah, it's a
0: big Is there a recent Mizzou cop for that? Like, how big was Derek Washington? And I'm obviously on the field, is what I'm talking about right, here, right, but right. just from a purely on the field football perspective, he's I probably
1: mean, the closest thing. So, I think Derek Washington was like six foot. So he he was
0: listed as a prospect at 5'11", 195. So pretty similar in terms of size as a high school recruit as what Jamal Roberts is. So maybe maybe that's the closest comp recently. Oh, you
1: you want a throwback? Yeah, let me get you a throwback. All right. Do you remember Damian Nash? Yeah, good player. Great player. Out of Riverview Gardens in St. Louis. 5'11", 210 was his final playing weight. Add an inch, add five pounds. Damian Nash, that was a dude... That was an impact running
0: back. Yeah. I like that. Damian Nash, yeah. Let's go like
1: that. So, yeah. well, That's that's the skill position, guys. I, and again, it's all going to be coming out into snap counts. I will keep track of that as the year goes on. It's going to give us a better, much better idea of who's going to do what. I am curious also with Mookie Cooper on the outside. He always talks about his speed, you know, and when he was first on campus... They use the speed for bubble screens and like stuff. So like, let's get them downfield. Let's see what that looks like. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Let's talk offensive line. This is what we've been talking about a lot. And boy, I know we talked about it last week, but let's just review. Right now, it's looking like you're starting offensive line. Javon Foster, left tackle. Xavier Delgado, the professor, at left guard. Connor Tollison. Needs 30 pounds of booty, like I said. He is going to be your starting center. Cameron Johnson, the guy who you brought in to be center, is your right guard.
0: He was an all-conference left guard last year, by the way. He
1: was, and then your right tackle is God's gift to offensive line play, Armand Membu. Yep. Now, the guys backing him up, which, again, that is loosey-goosey. It's mostly names on on paper, but your backup left tackle – Marcellus Johnson, the transfer from East uh, Eastern Michigan who played left tackle at Eastern Michigan, who was rumored to be right tackle, but now he's backup left. Tristan Wilson from Lebanon, redshirt freshman at left guard. Love that. Bency Polgar, who we have not heard a peep about since he got on campus, apparently going to be your backup center. EJ Ndoma Ogar, who has shown so much promise but is constantly injured as your backup right guard. And then last year's backup right guard, the man, the mammoth, Mitchell Walters. So I feel like this is a statement on potential and this is a statement on we just got to find the right five combination because I'm not sure these are the best guys, but it sounds like this might be the right combo. What are your thoughts?
0: So I I think this says a lot about Armand Membu. first of all. I think what they're saying is Armand Membu is – a tackle and he's going to be a tackle. And we think he already is a tackle. And if we believe that, and we think Cameron Johnson's an all conference guard, doesn't it make sense for us to just move Armand Mimbu to tackle and get those guys next to each other and just freaking dominate on the right side of the offensive line. And the answer, like I can see how that you get there, right? Especially Cameron Johnson's really good at pass blocking. That's kind of his thing, right? I think Armand Mimbu has a chance to be a really good run blocker as well. So maybe those guys complement each other on that side of the offensive line. Delgado and Foster have already worked with one another. You're good there. And then on we'll see what happens there with center. I think this is really a conversation about Marcellus Johnson at right tackle versus Xavier Delgado at left guard. I think that's what it comes down to. Because if they didn't have any confidence about Delgado at guard, what you do is just... You'd move Membu to right guard. You put Cameron Johnson at left guard. And you put Marcellus Johnson at right tackle. You call it a day. Yeah. And I, I would say that there's still a chance they do that. I, I don't think anybody should be shocked if by the end of the season, that is the configuration. But I think right now you have eight offensive line, that linemen that matter. The five that are currently starting. And then your backups at tackle Marcellus Johnson at guard, EJ and Doma Ogar and at center, Bency Polgar. And honestly, it's really seven. It's, guard or tackle you've got your guys available plus marcellus johnson Mm -hmm. in center you've got Bency bulgar i think that's how they're looking at this thing is our sixth offensive lineman right now is marcellus johnson if xavier delgado gets hurt we're moving membu into guard and we're going to move johnson over to the other side johnson or marcellus johnson then becomes the tackle if javon foster were to get hurt Marcellus Johnson comes in at tackle. He's just the guy that comes in regardless of who gets hurt. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I view it. How did you see it?
1: I think it addresses the biggest weakness on the offensive line last year, which no disrespect to Connor Wood and Mitchell Walters. Mitchell Walters is not a guard. He was playing right guard. Connor Wood was not a tackle. He was playing right tackle. Yep. And anytime they tried to run right, it just didn't happen. So, I think you're right. I think they realized Memphis is a great tackle. Johnson is an all-conference guard. Hey, let's put those two on the right side where we had the biggest amount of problems trying to run the ball. And I I don't think that is a wrong answer. It is it is not what we expected, but I think this is the group that's going to give you at least on paper until we actually get to the games. It makes a ton of sense, and I think it is probably your best combo. Because, again, Foster and Delgado, we have talked about that Delgado probably doesn't have the highest ceiling of the guards there, but he has also worked right next to Foster for three years. Like, they've probably got this figured out. Yeah. So you put two six-year seniors on the left, two super talented guys on the right, and then have last year's center figure it out on the job, and then hopefully he's a little bit better. Um, at least from a physical standpoint. So,
0: A lot of this comes down to whether or not they're right on Tolleson. It does. Because they they don't really have another option. As much as I say Bency Polgar is your backup, he is truly the backup.
1: Yeah, same for Drake Heismaner. Like, they didn't trust Drake until the last game of the year, you know? And that's because he got hurt, and Bency Polgar was academically ineligible. But, yeah, I kind of feel like if there was a true option – then an underweight Connor Tolleson would not be your starter. Which again, no disrespect to Connor. I don't know how many times we have to say on this podcast that we think he's going to be great. <laughs> he just needs like eight more cheeseburgers to get out there and 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 keep all the mental stuff and just execute physically. That's all.
0: It's so hard. I mean, the same reason why we're giving so much credit to Membu as a sophomore for being a guy that can immediately play, basically. It's the same reason why we were so skeptical of playing Tollison so early. Yeah. Because like where Membu is seemingly a special talent and that's why he's getting on the field early, Tollison is a guy that needed he needed reps and he needed time and he needed to add weight. And when you don't have those things handed to you or you don't have the opportunity to to wait, literally and figuratively, um it's hard. It's really hard, man. Trying to win at that position in this conference is remarkably difficult. Doing it as a 19-year-old kid who still needs to gain weight and strength is nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. So hopefully hopefully he's done that in the offseason. It remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, we'll find out. So let's run through the defense real fast. <clears throat> there's only a couple things. Again, I was about
0: to say, for the defense that we know, there's going to be like 20 guys that end up playing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and all of them are pretty good.
1: <laughs> and they all played last year. So yeah. like... Let's go through it. Let's go through it. So, Niles Ghani, the FCS transfer from Jackson State, he is slotted at one of your defensive end spots. Darius Robinson is slotted at the other. That means your interior linemen, Realis George and Christian Williams. Your linebackers, Chad Bailey, Tyron Hopper, that's always going to be the case, assuming no one was injured. Chad's dealing with some kind of soft tissue injury, so hopefully he's good to go. But those are your two captains and your two linebackers. Then you get into corners, Chris Abrams drain and his race straw. We knew that that was always going to be the case. You're starting star just as we predicted, Dalen Carnell. And then you're starting strong safety and free safety, Jalen Carlisle, Joseph Charleston. Again, assuming no injuries, all that good stuff, uh, which Carlisle is the only one with an injury as well. Uh, so, really, the main the main question here for me, Mister BK, is you've brought in Austin Firestone, Niles Gaddy. Joe Moore just portaled in dudes to throw at the edge to because that's what they did last year. You also had Johnny Walker Jr., who's been with the team. He's entering, what, his fourth year on campus right now? Um, and then you have D.J. Wesselak, who, again, I don't know, was a linebacker in name last year, and is just a redshirt freshman. But you have all those guys, Joe Moore, Austin Firestone, Johnny Walker, D.J. Westlock in theory. And your second defensive end, Darius Robinson how do we feel about that
0: I feel like this is one of those things that the Chiefs tried to do with Chris Jones and it's because of necessity yeah I think that they they don't feel great about any of those options at defensive end yet they feel really good about a lot of their options at defensive tackle Mm -hmm. so I think it makes all the sense in the world as to why you would try this Rallis George, Christian Williams, Jaden Jernigan, Josh Landry, Jalen Marshall, Marquise Gracial, maybe Kai Montgomery, I think he's heard again. Um, those top six, though, yeah, that I just mentioned, they can all play at the SEC level. Like mm-hmm. they, they can. We know that to be the case. So if you've got six other dudes that can legitimately play at this level already at defensive tackle, and I know Darius Robinson can dominate if you put him in there in the interior. Doesn't hurt anything to try. Sure. Let's see what it looks like. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work. And by week three, he's back at defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. I know what he can do there. I know how he fits into the system. It'll be fine. He takes the spot of Ralph's George. We, we make it work. We're ready to go, right? Yeah. Defensive end is much different. I don't know about these dudes. I don't know about Niles Gaddy at this level. I don't know about Johnny Walker Jr. playing 60% of the snaps. I certainly don't know about Joe Moore as a starting level defensive end. I think everybody just assumed because his dad played here, he's good. I I don't know if he's going to be good or not. He was a very average level player last season at Arizona State. And I mean, like average as a defensive end, not for Mizzou standards. So I kind of understand how they ended up here. My guess is that they still end up with Darius Robin on the inside for most pass rushing situations like third down get after the quarterback type of spots and i think when you're actually in your biggest games he'll play the majority of his snaps at defensive tackle but early on i don't see any reason not to because now you find a way to get more of those defensive tackles reps early on in the season
1: yeah absolutely oh you know even under barry some of those better defensive uh, defenses had some just three heavy dudes and then one pass rusher it's not unheard of. It's not crazy. And and Darius Robinson's a very talented player. Very versatile. Um, so yeah, I. it's odd. You would think that somebody from the portal or from some of the existing guys would be the second spot, but again, names on papers, we're going to see how they actually who they actually play and when they play him, And I'm sure there's going to be tons of rotation. And the thing about Blake Baker is that habit comes from everywhere. It doesn't just come from the ends. So even if you just get a body out there and there's a lot of dudes who can blink a lot of plays. So we will we will see how that goes. But really, I mean, that's it. Again, the thing about this defense is that everybody came back and everybody was good. So like your only question were where the four guys left, and that's what we're talking about. So it's proven, it's otherwise we're going to be okay. Then, uh, of course, Harrison Mevis is your starting kicker. Just uh, That's locked down. So we're good there. Uh, so yeah, that's the dip chart. Uh, let's talk about some business BK. I want to talk about, uh, we're going to be talking about some, some, some contests here, some free tickets. I know BK you're, I think you might be an NFL fan. You seem to be talking about the NFL on podcasts. Uh, I'm assuming you're kind of an NFL guy. Um, but if you listener are a fan of the NFL team, maybe the chiefs, I think you might want to attend your, your favorite team's week one game. I don't know. That might sound like that could be a lot of fun. And if that's something that you like to do, well, you are in good luck because Fans First Sports Network, which is our home for our podcast, they're giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. Pretty cool. So here's here's the rule. Simple simple to enter. Number one, go to contest.fanfirstsports.com. Fill out your appropriate information. Once you do that, you've been officially registered to win Four free tickets to any week one NFL game. So I don't know. Seems pretty simple. I don't know. I know you're listening to this right now, either in your car, maybe on your on your desktop. Just pop on over to contest.fanfirstsports.com. Put in your info, give it a shot. It doesn't cost you anything. And you might get four free tickets to an NFL game, which is pretty cool. So contest in September 4th. Do it before then. Go root uh For the chiefs because i guess that's my team that's certainly your team BK, or you know whatever just go go support fan first go support your nfl team it's all it's all for a good cause okay back to mizzou and we just got done talking about the death chart so i thought it'd be a little fun little thought exercise we know the skill position we know the offensive line we know the defense all that stuff quarterback is up in the air maybe it's brady cook maybe it's sam horn Here's my question for you, BK. If you could pick any quarterback from previous years of Missouri football to place in this offense, with this roster, with this coaching staff, who would you pick? I think most fans
0: hear what you just asked and say, well, Nate, obviously there's an answer. And it's the guy that was the best quarterback in the history of Mizzou football. And I get that. There's probably some truth to it.
1: Phil Bradley. That's what you're saying. <laughs> That's
0: what I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about Chuck Roper. Um, <laughs> I think that the answer though, goes a little deeper than simply saying, well, Chase Daniel, like, obviously Chase Daniel's amazing. So let me tell you why Mike Hyde would mute. not get. um, <laughs> I would go Brad Smith. I would go Brad uh, Smith. Yeah, And the reason why yeah. I would go with Brad Smith is because he can make something happen regardless of what's around him. Yep, The guy was just such a spectacular one-of-one talent. And we saw it with him at Mizzou in the early 2000s. He is what made Mizzou cool again. If not for Brad Smith, there is no Chase Daniel. And Mizzou needs its next Brad Smith. That's where they're at right now. They're not in the depths that they were at that point. They're not at that level, but they really need somebody that can come in and make it cool to be a Missouri tiger in the sec again, Mm -hmm. to get the stench of the last seven years off of this program, to make it fresh the way that it was early in Steve Spurrier's tenure when he got to South Carolina where it was like, oh, hey, this is a cool program, and you can win here, and you can do things that people didn't really think you could do in this era of the SEC at South Carolina. So can Eli Drinkwitz do that at Mizzou? He needs his quarterback to be able to make that possible. Brad Smith's done it once. I would have him do it again.
1: (laughs) My answer is also Brad Smith. Um, You could argue that Chase Daniel would be really effective in this offense just because the receivers are so good and they're all slot receiver types that like to, you know, win one on one matchups and then yak their way down the field. I get it. He's really good for that. Uh he would be able to assess the field really well. You know, he could find and just get a dart out there really fast and let him go. Like and he's got the swagger, right? That's also one of the, the better parts about underrated parts of Chase Daniel is the fat little five ten quarterback you Talk trash and, and and throw all over your ass. So there I think there is an aspect to that. And I don't think that's the wrong that's a wrong answer. I don't I don't think there's really any wrong answer, but if you say Chase Daniel, I understand it, I'm cool with it. But for your reasons, Brad Smith. Because we don't know what the running game looks like right now. We are not sure how the offensive line is going to perform. We know there's talent at the receivers, and we know Brad Smith, when everything broke down, you would find a hole that he would go. It's really hard for me to say it's not him. (laughs) Like, uh, he's got a special place in my heart, but he was just such a dynamic playmaker. You know, I think Chase Daniel, you know, you hear the complaints about Tom Brady, like, what's the most athletic thing Tom Brady's ever done? It's kind of like that with Chase. Obviously, we've seen him run and scramble and move, and he could do that. But, like, there's just such a difference between Chase Daniel making a big play by making an awesome throw. And Brad Smith making a great play because he was about to get sacked and he turned it for 25 yards. Like, that's the kind of thing that you need when things break down. And, yeah, the coolness factor, too. Like, God, people were talking about Missouri in 2003. They're talking yeah. about Brad Smith as a Heisman Trophy candidate if everything went well. I'm like, I've been following this team my entire life and no one has ever talked about Missouri. So he he got him on the map because he was dynamic. And that that's what this team needs, dynamic. Which Luther Burden can be, but he's also you know like getting targeted nine times a game. So you need someone at the quarterback position to be dynamic. So that would be my that would be my vote as well. But hey, listeners, uh, people viewing us on YouTube, you let us know. Is it Phil Bradley? Because if you are of a certain age, Phil Bradley was the best quarterback Missouri had ever seen for quite some time. So I get it. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. Pitching Paul Chrisman. I don't know, man. He threw for a thousand yards, like. Paul might be your guy, but put it in the comments. Let's find out. Um, let's wrap this up. And, and this is this is Mizzou adjacent. It's football adjacent. Um, but we found out earlier today, on Wednesday, that Dave Matter, uh, both formerly of the Columbia Daily Tribune and most recently the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, uh, he's hanging up the notebook. He is no longer going to be a beat writer. Covering Missouri sports for the PD. Now he's been doing this for 25 years, covering this team. So that goes back to '98. Uh, that means that Dave Matter has been the only beat writer that I have followed/slash trusted since I was in middle school, and now I'm married with two kids, pushing 40. Um, so this, it's, it's Dave's been doing this for a long time. Uh, if you look at his announcement on, on. Twitter specifically, but just social media. The the quotes, the responses give you a really good idea of how he was respected in the industry and respected by um, everyone who read what he wrote and covered the team. So this is a big damn deal. Uh, he, Dave Matter and the Mizzou Beat are basically just sympathetic, sympathetic to me, and I don't know what I'm going to do now because anything I saw something drop, like, he's one of two guys that I would go to their Twitter feed to see if it was true or not. So, um, BK, do you have any Dave stories? Did you run into him ever?
0: So, the biggest thing for me with Dave was this. Dave Dave was a pro's pro. Like, your favorite journalist, their favorite journalist is Dave Matter. It, it It's kind of, it works that way. When you are at Mizzou, there were two guys that mattered. It was Dave Matter and Gabe Diarmond. Now, there were other really excellent journalists that covered the University of Missouri, but they will also tell you when they were there, it was Dave, it was Gabe, and then it was whoever that person is that you're thinking of where you're saying to yourself, BK, you forgot blank. No, I didn't. That was the pecking order. And so when you were at Mizzou and you saw Dave Matter doing his job as a student journalist or as somebody that was covering the team professionally like and your line of work, you saw what he was doing and you said, that's the way that the job's supposed to be done. And I hope that I'm not messing up while he's doing that. So when you were in a press conference and Dave was always the first or second to get a question and then you would go, whatever, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever it was, you wanted your question to be something that Dave would then potentially write about. Like it, it was that kind of, you look up to this guy. Mm -hmm. um so that to me was the biggest thing like on a personal level i dave and i were i would assume like i think 20 years apart 15 20 years apart in terms of our our age so like i wasn't going out hanging out regularly with dave matter but i got to know him a little bit outside of the beat and he's just like genuinely a really nice guy um And I know some people will say that and it's like uh, almost seen as a negative. No, that's just how Dave was. He was just super approachable, a genuinely kind person who was willing to offer like if you're a journalist, I can't even count the number of student journalists that he helped get into the business. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you are somebody that is in the industry, you probably have a way that Dave Matter made you better at your job either explicitly by him telling you something or a little less overtly by you seeing him do something a certain kind of way so um it's a huge loss on the beat man mizzou fans have been incredibly lucky fortunate to have dave covering this team for as long as they have because the guy's a total pro um and it will not be the same reading Missouri coverage without him being a significant part of it.
1: I can't even imagine. Like I said, he's one of two guys that I trust for anything Missouri related. Um I did a handful of press conferences with him, most of them during COVID, like I'm with you. It was like, god, I I wonder if I asked something that he's going to be interested in, and I never did because I'm a terrible journalist. That's why I'm doing this now. Um I, my only Dave story, other than just knowing that he was in a conference that press conference I was in, was during the spring practice, the black and gold game of 2010. Uh, I was up in the press box. I was riding the elevator up with a bunch of people, journalists, staff, whatever. You know, it's the spring game. It's pretty low-key. So I'm already in the elevator. Door's open. Yeah, a couple of my friends here we're in the back. And the doors open, and there's Gary Pinkle and there's Dave Matter. And I'm pretty sure Dave was writing Gary's book at the time, so that they're like, you know, they're talking to each other about that. And there's a little murmuring in the elevator, and then it just like stopped when the doors open, and there's GP and Dave Matter. My buddy, he elbows me, he's like, Whoa, Gary Pinkle. I'm like, Whoa, Dave Matter. And like, he comes up to my, my right here. I'm like, Oh, he's really short. Okay, cool. Uh, but I don't know. For me, like you you read words from somebody who covers a team and you never see them. And like they you just create this image in your head of who they are. And it's like it's like you're meeting an author. It's like meeting a director. And, like yeah. you're like, oh, holy cow, like that's him. That's him right there. And I never I never spoke words to him, but like that is my Dave Matter story, and I'll remember it forever. And I don't know what he's going to do now, but um he's gonna be great at it. You know, I, I don't I don't know what I know he doesn't listen to this show, but if you do, Dave, thank you for everything. You were great. Best of luck. And uh, good luck to the unfortunate sap who has to follow him yeah. because that's like, you, following can't,
0: you can't, you can't, Th- there is no following certain people in certain jobs are that job. Like if you're a Cardinals fan, Derek Gould is Cardinals beat writing. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. He's just, he's the guy. If you're a Mizzou fan, Dave Matter is the guy there's nobody else that chronicles it the way that he does and so for him to not be there like nobody else can try to be what dave was on the beat the other thing like to your point of who he was as a beat writer the dude just worked his freaking ass off man yeah. and any time that you saw dave he was grinding in one way or another so um yeah, it, he's he's just incredible. He's he's absolutely amazing, and he was a remarkable beat writer at the Post for basically a generation of Mizzou fans. Uh, so not having him around is going to suck, to be just totally honest. it It is a sad day and a bad day for all of us as Mizzou fans, even though we understand Dave's going to do something that probably makes him happier, obviously, or he wouldn't be taking this, so... Uh good for him. Happy yeah. for him, sad for the great, rest of us.
1: Great day for Dave, not mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, <laughs> just That's right. Just, Dave and and Matter family adjacent like congratulations to him on job well done and family for finally seeing. Uh they're they're their one again cuz <laughs> That sucks man. That's a that's a rough life. So I hope he's The gonna other
0: thing dude, best. think about what he saw. Like think about what he chronicled at the University of Missouri over the last 25 years. Like go go back to 98 and yeah. now, think about everything that has taken place since then, both mm-hmm. on and off of the field mm-hmm. for Mizzou athletics. Like the That's Quinn cool. Snyder era, the Gary Pinkle rise, the move to the SEC,
1: Mike Anderson,
0: yeah, Kim Mike Anderson, Mike Anderson, <laughs> um, yeah. Michael Porter Jr. Oh, and all yeah. of that, yeah. Dorial Green Beckham, and all of that. Yeah, I, I mean, just from start the 2007 and 2013 seasons, like. The stories that he was able to see are nothing short of remarkable. And he's got, mm-hmm. you also go back even further than that. Like some of his basketball stories are incredible. Uh, <laughs> if you ever get him off of the record, some of the basketball stories <laughs> that he's got are really good.
1: Yeah, that's, man, he's not going to write a tell-all, but he should. Because, man, that would be fantastic. But yeah. Congratulations, Dave. We are all sad. Uh, for the lack of coverage that we're going to have, but we're happy for you. Uh, so, BK, last thoughts before we get the heck out of here.
0: Uh, I'm excited to watch semi-football next week. It's going to be very fun. Just I'm gen- genuinely looking forward to the preview that we'll be able to do next week, because there are some guys that I... I like the fact that we get one of these games. I don't like having two of them. But one of them is fun, because you do get to see some of the young guys in the second half, and you get to find out, okay, what what can these guys do when they're on the field and they're, you know, running around? What does it yep. look like as yep. Jamal Roberts is taking carries? What does it look like as Makai Miller is like the number one receiver on the field? Those are the kinds of things that I am pretty excited to see. Joshua Manning, guys like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my pet favorites that were part of the last couple of recruiting classes. So that'll be enjoyable. Otherwise, hopefully Missouri wins by 70.
1: That's the plan. And that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nietzsche Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you could follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation and podcasting outlet at Rock M Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, MIZ.
2: Thank you everyone for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it being directly into your personal device, Just click the subscribe button below. Uh, And you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, We are also available on Spotify to search for Rock M Radio. Uh, And if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks.